Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Englert. I'm here with Dylan Carnival, our producer, and John Amayo. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Gerald Hector. Uh, he is the vice president of finance at Morehouse College, recent author of a book on common sense, which is hence our question today, which is why common sense is so uncommon. John, let's get started with you. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on this topic? I have none. I have no common sense. I guess that's what, no, I I don't know. I mean, it, this is, it's a very, like, I think this is something that's in our face all the time, basically. Scroll through social media right now, and 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 how many times a day do you think, man, that person just has no sense whatsoever as you're scrolling through social media. It, like, why did they do that? Why in the world would somebody say that? Like, that was ridiculous. How many times a day do those thoughts cross our mind now? And and it's not that that never happened before, but it was just never in our face as much before. So I think we're living with this question, whether we realize it or not, we're living with this question on a daily basis. So that's why it's great to have this conversation that we're having today. You know, uh, so I met Gerald when he was working uh, in Ithaca. He worked at both Ithaca College, but then also Cornell University. Um, he oh, big red. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He recently took a job at Morehouse College, a very esteemed historically black college. And um, just I've loved following him on LinkedIn and I had to reach out to him to do that. So, Gerald, I'm going to throw to you right now. We're zooming for this conversation. Let's start with this. Um, tell us, first of all, about your book and then give us a def your working definition of common sense. Okay, well, good morning, gentlemen. And first and foremost, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Thank you for having me. Peter, pleasure to put a name with an email address <laughs> and a face with an email address. But it's my pleasure to be here. Um, this book that I wrote, It's Easy, Son, Quick Making Things Difficult, is really a thank you to my college coach, the late William P. Moultrie. Uh, coach Moultrie is a transformational figure in my life outside of my own father. He probably, along with my uh, current bishop, uh, Claude Alexander, of the Park Church in Charlotte, probably have influence in terms of how I see the world today and in terms of how I try to navigate this world. So this book was a thank you to him. I'm originally from Kingston, Jamaica, and I was offered a track and field scholarship to Harvard University back in 1989. So I spent four years with him, graduated in 1993. But over those four years, what was interesting to me, he was a gentleman from a very humble background, you know, son of sharecroppers from Rockdale, Texas. But he rose to the ranks of the highest levels of coaching in both football and track and field. But his coaching style was different. He was an ordained minister, but he always tried to garner the best from his athletes. And he would say these quirky things that we all thought were just crazy. I mean, what is he talking about? That would be a constant refrain from all of us as his athletes when we were under his tutelage. But as I grew um, out of college, into the work world, and then I settled into my career in higher education, I started to realize that uh, a lot of the things that he was saying, those little quirky remarks, were just commonsensical ways of approaching difficulties, challenges, 
and, you know, life's hurdles. And quite honestly, now I find myself talking to my kids in the same way. I have three children, so I'm using those same expressions. And I coach um, my sons and, and my daughter all the way through their Little League soccer and golf and swimming and so on and so forth. But I found myself using those same exact words, you know. It's easy, son. Quit making things difficult. You're making this thing too difficult. And common sense in and of itself, in a nutshell for me, it's just basically, I would say, in one word, it's KISS, which is an acronym, right? Mm. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Um, as I was sharing off before we got on air, what I've come to realize over time is there's certain things that we know of from birth uh, that... You know, fire is hot, ice is cold, but somehow as we grow up, we intellectualize almost everything that we experience, and then we overlay it with a bunch of theories and a bunch of other things, and we just get away from the core issues, and we, we, we leave it alone. Next thing we know, this thing has grown outside of our control, and when we take a step back and look at it, we said, wow, if I had just done this one simple thing, you know, I would not be here today. So. That's how I view it. That's what the book is about. And that's what I'm trying to impart with the book. And I've been very humbled by the responses by young professionals and parents, mostly parents, hmm. who have uh, requested autographed copies of the book. I was, that's very humbling in and of itself because the book's such a nerve. So here I am today and keeping things going and starting a podcast and a whole host of things around the book. So I'm excited. And I'm just happy to be on with you guys today. Wow. Wow. It seems to me as you're talking, there's another way that we could frame common sense in, in, in how, you're, how you're describing it. And it, one word might be wisdom, but like a simple kind of wisdom, you know, not like, not like a, a complex. You're talking about something that's very simple, but that could just be applied to our lives, you know, in a really, really practical way. I think that's why what common sense is about. It's about being really practical with the, with what you, with the wisdom that you have. So like, what are some of those examples? You, you kind of hinted at them in your life. You look back and you go, man, if I would have only done this, that would have made things different. Like, or like, oh man, I, I, I went down this road and I wish I wouldn't have gone down that road. Like, as you look back with a little bit of perspective now, are there things in your life that you can go, huh, I, I picked up a little common sense from this, you know? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is a great, great book for you to get some sense of. There's a time and a season for everything, right? Yeah, yeah. And when you are younger, when I was younger, I came up through a middle-class family and in Jamaica. Then we moved. I moved here to the States, and it was a challenge getting through college because I was here by myself. But I always had this drive that I always had to get things done, and I set a timetable for myself. And I would burn the midnight oil, burn the candles on both ends, whichever way you want to think about it, striving and pushing. But I never took the time to really sit quietly and just be. Mm. And that is something that is now, I practice on a regular and consistent basis, just being in the moment yeah. rather than every day, waking moments, you're up, you're striving, you're pushing. 
um, that was something I had to learn the hard way because as you are striving, you set a goal and know how far along you get at achieving your goal. You get the goal and then you end up with a fundamental question. Is this it? Mm. And every stage of my career that I've gotten to, I'm like, okay, I got here, but there's something missing. There's something more. So as I'm reflecting on all of this, writing the book and what I try to share with young people that I mentor today is life is a journey. It's a process. You're never, ever going to have a, a singular destination. It's going to always, the goalpost is always going to move. Mm. So while you're moving along, try to enjoy life a little bit, even for a little bit. <laughs> you know, stop and smell the roses a little, uh, a little bit. You know, exercise, take care of your temple. Mm. Things of that nature, because if we're just constantly on the go, we never, ever pause to ask the fundamental question, why am I on this earth? Mm. And that is where I think the commonsensical aspects of how I try to approach everything today is rooted and centered in that I could have accomplished a lot more in terms of what I would consider social capital or social investments, investing in other people to see other people move along rather than trying to get something singularly for myself. Because the accumulation of material things oftentimes feel great as you're getting it. Hmm. But after a while, it just says, okay, I, I got, there's something missing. And, and that's the approach that I take to everything today. And, you know, there's no regret. You know, life is something that comes your way. You live it. But at some point, you got to make a conscious decision to say, I want to do more. Mm. And that's the stage of my life that I'm in right now, wanting to give back, wanting to share, but always beating up myself a little bit to say, hey, I could have been doing this a lot more, a lot sooner. Mm. But it's more rewarding that way. And um, like, for example, I'll give you a good example. I have a number of friends that I went to college with at Harvard University who are very successful in their careers. And when they saw that I went into higher education out of the corporate world, I'm now in it almost 16 plus, almost 20 years plus. And they're now asking me, you know, would it be a good idea to get into higher education? And mm. I say, why? You're successful. You, um, you know, you make a lot of money. You have a lot of gravitas. And the usual thing comes back. There's more that I could be doing. So... Uh. That's how I view it now in, in its most um, simplest of terms is you live your life, but you're living your life not only for yourself, but you're living your life and how you can impact others and what vibrations you want to leave in the earth. And that's where I am right now in my walk and my, my hope of writing this book, doing the podcast and actually being on with you guys today. You know, Gerald, one of the things when you and I were on the phone that you mentioned to me that I just think, just based on what you just said, um, you know, you had made a comment. You said, you know, people are surprised where I am. Like, I came from Jamaica, and now, you know, I've been a vice president at a few colleges. And your response back to me was, well, I just took what was in front of me. And so I'm thinking about you know, the 20-somethings, you know, and I even think about myself, you know, there's times when we're so laser-focused that we can only see one opportunity as being successful. It just sounds like in your life that you just said, you know what, I, 
the the common sense thing is I'm going to work hard. The common sense thing is I'm going to take this next opportunity. Help us understand a little bit of that journey because I think it could be helpful for our listeners. Absolutely. One of the fundamental things I share today is I tell young people is don't get so focused on a blessing that you forsake your promise. Mm. And that's a fundamental key factor for how we have to approach this thing called life. As I shared, I think I shared with you, Peter, when I was coming up and I got into corporate America, almost every job move that I've made, I never had to to formally go through a full interview process. So when I left um, Deloitte and Touche out of college, I was um, I had a job offer from Deloitte uh, coming out of college my senior year. But to get to the United Negro College Fund, uh, Bill Gray, uh, the former CAO, may he rest in peace, he saw my work ethic and he saw what I tried to do to help him on the audits of that firm. And he said to me, we need to get this young man. And they created a position for me to leave Deloitte & Touche and join the United Negro College Fund. Mm-hmm. So your point is well taken. If you are, have a strong work ethic and you're delivering and you are allowing people to see your talents and your skills, you will be noticed. The thing is, when you are noticed, do you have the humility to just continue to do the work, to perform, and not get so puffed up? Hmm. And a lot of times you see young people getting puffed up because I have to strive to make this thing happen. got to make it work. So I want to impress everyone with everything that I have to do rather than being humble, doing the work, and being available, and when the opportunity presents itself, you then perform. So if you're not prepared when the opportunity comes, you're not going to be able to excel. So that's how I have approached it in my career. So when I was at United Negro College Fund, the same thing happened again. I was fortunate enough, uh, Bill Gray uh, found it uh, important for me to work on the Gates Millennium Scholars Program. It was the largest scholarship program, I think, ever in history. Mm -hmm. $1 $1 billion to educate 20,000 minority students. And we were successfully launched that program. So once again, Dorothy Yancey at Johnson C. Smith, she saw me doing that work and saying, wow, this young man got this thing done, part, working as a part of a team, but he was responsible for building the, the financial budgets and so on. So upon Bill Gray's retirement, she asked me, would you come and be my CFO? Once again, someone hand-picking you to come and do something like that. So to the young people, what I tell them all the time is every day you go to work, you got to show up Mm. and you got to perform. And then if you're performing, the other piece of it is always be available. Always be available. I I run into young people today or, or even some folks my age and older who believe that they should be compensated for everything that they do. Mm. And sometimes volunteering is just as powerful as getting compensated because you volunteer for things, you serve on boards, you serve in soup kitchens. I took, that's one of the things I did with my, my two sons. I let them understand the importance of serving, hmm. servant leadership. But that is something that has to be ingrained in us as well. So when you combine all of that, your technical knowledge, your skill set, and then you apply the social aspects of why you do what you do. The two kind of come together. And people will notice you. 
because you know you could be the brightest uh, bulb in, in the lamp. The challenge is if you also don't have the character and the personality and the empathy and the emotional coaching that goes along with it. You know, you're just going to be a smart person. No one wants to be around. So you have to get to a point where you are developing the whole package. And to John's point, common sense will tell you when you are being rejected because of your behavior. Hmm. But if I'm a narcissist at heart, I will never see that, right? I will always just basically be thinking that everything revolves around me. And that does not work well in a work setting. Teamwork. And the ability to lift others when they are down or bring people along as you're rising, I think that benefits all of us in the long run. And if your goals and your ambitions are to rise to a certain level, you only rise as you bring people along versus standing on people and pushing them down. That doesn't work. Mm. The former is better than the latter in every realm that I have been associated with. Yeah. Gerald, there's there's so much wisdom in what you're saying right now. And... I'd, I'd like to just kind of delve into it and maybe dissect it just a little bit, because as as you're talking, I'm sensing this maybe transitionary time in your life where you you have gone from kind of performing on your own to like mentoring and taking on this other role in people's lives. So I've heard it expressed before that the first half of life is about the parable of the talents in the Bible. And the second half of life becomes more like the prodigal son where you're returning home and, and being who you were created to be not necessarily based off of performance. So what was that? What's that been like for you to, to, to transition from, hey, this is about my performance? You, you certainly have, it's not all been about you, but it's been, you're, you're describing yourself working hard, you know, really showing up. What's it look like for that transition then to happen to go like, I am now really valuing the mentoring role in my life as well. I'm taking on that role of coach in other people's lives. Like were there an instance or two that 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 really stood out to you that go, man, this is this is a turning point for me with that? Yeah, I think the turning point for me was when I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I became a member of the University Park Baptist Church under the leadership of Bishop Claude Richard Alexander. Mm. Um it's a funny story how my, my family ended up at that church because when I got, I tell people all the time, I went to Charlotte, North Carolina to become a chief financial officer of Johnson C. Smith at 32, 33 years old, something like that. Mm. But hindsight being 2020 to your question, John, it was, it wasn't to go get a job in Charlotte. It was really for God to send me to a place where I knew no one. Mm. When I came to the United States, I entered the United States in Washington, D.C., and I went to Howard University, and I graduated, and I worked at Deloitte & Touche in Washington, D.C. office. So I built a network in Washington, D.C., and I was growing, and I was climbing the ladder, and, you know, that's the part where I was striving, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to be seen, and I wanted to be someone that can say, hey, this young man is on point. He's from Jamaica. He He has a point to prove. So God just said, okay, you got all these family on ties and, uh, you know, community ties here. Well, guess what? I'm sending you to Charlotte, North Carolina, 
You've never been before. When Dr. Yancey offered me the job, I told her no, because ignorance is bliss, because I heard, wow, I'm not moving to the South. That's North Carolina. That's, you know, racial tensions down there are tough. You know, that type of attitude. Mm. But when I got there, I realized I wasn't going there for a job. I was going there for God to isolate me Mm. in order to speak to me. Mm-hmm. And when I was down there and I, I got there, it was a church called Friendship Baptist Church, which is, which is another mega church in Charlotte. And my, a number of my staff members would say to me, Mr. Hector, you need to join my church, um, the, the, the Friendship Baptist Church. But every morning, I, not knowing where I was going to go to church, I would drive to work and I drove past the University Park Baptist Church every morning not knowing that I was going actually 15 miles out of my way to drive that route. But I didn't know where I was going. So I said, hey, this is the only way I know how to get get to work. So I kept driving by this church, looking up at the church every day. Then, funny enough, down Baysford Road, I would pass University Park on the right, and about two or three miles further down would be the friendship on the, the same right-hand side. Yeah. And I said, well, here's the friendship everyone is saying I should go to. But this University Park one up here, every time I pass, my head turns to the right. Hmm. So I, I, I said said to my wife, because we, we were like six months apart. I, I went, came down before my wife did. And as soon as my wife came down, I said, you know, honey, let's go check out this church. See what it's about. Hmm. We went to service one time. <laughs> and the second time we went back, we joined the church. Wow. Why am I giving you that backstory? I'm giving you that backstory because it was under Bishop Alexander's preaching, teaching, and his fellowship that the mentoring and the call, if you will, on what it is I'm supposed to be doing started to take shape. Hmm. It started to take shape because I'm striving. I'm now a, a CFO at 32, 33 years old. I still have a little bit of that arrogance from, you know, wanting to prove myself that I can do this stuff. And now God is saying to me, no, you still don't get it, do you? Hmm. I want you in a place where you don't know anyone, so now you're depending solely upon me. So it's through that experience of teaching and preaching from Bishop Alexander that my wife and I actually ended up teaching high school Bible study. Wow. And in Teaching that high school Bible study, the mentoring aspect began, began to grow and develop. Why? Because I then saw these young people who looked up to me and my wife for us imparting our wisdom. Now, at this point, we were not biblical scholars. <laughs> we were just people who knew enough about God and Jesus to be dangerous. <laughs> we knew nothing about um you know, none of what I know now is a seminary and trained. We were just people who knew that God was calling us to do something, but we didn't know what it was. And it's that in that space and that incubator called the Park Church, that where we are today in terms of my seminary training and my wanting to impart and mentor at a certain level, not only naturally, but spiritually, that's where it was birthed and it grew. So much so that my wife just became an associate minister of our church in Ithaca, New York. And if you were to ask her, she being an associate minister, she'll look at you as if you're crazy because she is a total introvert. 
But when the Lord puts it on you and keeps needling you that I have something for you to do, you can run as much as you want like Jonah did, yeah. but he is going to come and get you. And all of this happened and developed and was nurtured right there in Charlotte, North Carolina at the, the Park Church. And, and today I'm in constant contact with Bishop. Uh, we serve on the, the board of the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary together. He's a, the, the chairman there. But it was under his teaching, preaching, and the fellowship of that church that this was birthed and it's grown in me over time. Gerald, I want to come back a little bit. Um, you know, so this is going to be kind of the pastor question. Um, you know, I can hear our listeners say, hey, Gerald, I, I want your resume. Like, and even to the point, I want to help people, you know, and I want common sense. So I want to work for Deloitte. I want to work for Cornell. I want to work for Ithaca. And, you know, I want to perform well. And just, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but basically you felt like the the biggest reason you moved to Charlotte was for Bishop Alexander. And I'm thinking about some of the 20-somethings that are like, you know, Gerald, I'm with you. You know, I want to have common sense. I want to get the career stuff. But then they hear your story about church and they're kind of like, yeah, give or take, you know, to the 20-somethings. And I think you encounter them that they're not committing to a church, you know, and there's there's good reason to that, you know, and I can own that as a pastor. You know, the church has been hypocritical. We failed. But you're giving a, a different side to that story. You know, what was the major part of you committing to a church and really becoming part of a life to your church? And why is that common sense? I just wanted to stop right there because I felt like that's something important for just our listeners to grasp in this moment. Well, I think most listeners, when it comes to anything of spirituality, I tell um, even my own children this, is that God cannot be, um, the best way I could say it is, God can't be taught. God has to be revealed. Mm. And he does that in his own way. His ways are not our ways, nor his thoughts are our thoughts. And that's something that I always wrestle with because trying to impart and say to someone, well, common sense is going to say you're going to come to this thing. And I believe all of us come to, to it by either some sort of Damascus Road experience or something heavily is placed on you that you just can't get rid of. Mm. So one thing I would say, I went to Charlotte because of a job, but God had it planned in a way that he was like, nope, I had you come into Charlotte because I wanted you to come spend some time with me. Mm. Now, how do you tell a young per person in today's contemporary society, right in the midst of COVID-19, where they're graduating into an economy where their jobs are scarce, unemployment is at a record high, the economy, we don't know when it's going to turn around. They're looking at the practical. But then if you are trying to say to them, well, there's a spiritual side of it, you can only do that in my mind by living out the gospel in front of them. Mm -hmm. And my suggestion to them would be, don't take my word for it. Take the actions that you see and see if the actions that I espouse and how I live and how I carry myself, if that is in line with what you're seeing in that book. Mm. Because you're right. The church sometimes, 
becomes a, a roadblock and a hindrance to some of our young people in terms of spirituality for the simple fact that we get so hung up on the church, the building, versus the church being individual. Mm. And what I just finished a book in a book study. I, I, I worship here at the Elizabeth Baptist Church in Atlanta. And we're going through, or I just finished up, um, a book series that's called More. But there is a book by Kevin Wilson, Kevin Wilson is his name, and he posits certain things that there are three things that we have to do, is that we have to be, we have to do, and we have to go. Hmm. I found myself looking at that, and this is where most young people will be today. We always want to be in the mode of doing, Mm -hmm. but we skip over the part of just simply being. Mm-hmm. And what is simply being? Being is just sitting still and spending time with God for God to have enough time to speak to you so that you can have some understanding of what it is he wants you to ultimately do. Henry Blackaby says, talks about, you know, you know, show me where you're working, God, so I can join you there. But how will I ever know where God is working if I don't spend time just being with God, right? Mm-hmm. Then I could get to the doing part. So when I get to the doing part, and you say someone would want my resume, now as I look back, all this doing that I was doing, I was being carried along Hmm. all this time. You know, when I look at my life, I look at growing up in Jamaica, I, I I went to a Pentecostal church. I went to a, with my grandmother, that's who was my anchor in my faith. Hmm. I went to a Catholic school and when my grandma wasn't on the island, I went to an Anglican church. So I have all the doctrines covered, mm. right? Yeah. But at the same time, getting to Howard University, going to Kingston College, my high school, an Anglican high school, going to Howard University, what are the odds you'll end up having a track coach who's an ordained minister? Mm. Leaving Howard University, going to the United Negro College Fund, working for Bill Gray, ordained minister, uh, right? Yeah. And you can just start tying the dots. You see the dots. And now that I'm older and wiser, I would say to young people now, from a spiritual perspective, God has you on a path where he is dropping points and nuggets along the way. But you have to find the time to sit still long enough to connect the dots, to see that God has placed something in you, and more importantly, placed something on you, that if you take the time to connect the dots, it will all then come and make sense. Mm. But until I'm willing to do that and make that conscious choice that I am going to do this, you know, it's never going to come. When I went to seminary, for example, I went to seminary and I chose Gordon Conwell because Bishop Alexander got his doctorate from Gordon Conwell. Okay, that makes sense in some sense. But on a personal level, I'm like, why am I even contemplating seminary? I'm a CPA. What is a CPA doing in seminary? Mm. I tell people now, hey, look, I'm trying to get right with God before I go, right? (laughs) But my first conversation with Dr. Steve Flipperwitz when I got there, he said to me, he said, young man, um, Gerald, why are you here? And my response to him was, Dr. Slipowitz, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. Mm. 
And he said to me, that's the best answer you could have given. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, I don't know because I know there is something I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. I'm in this ministry that is shaping, pouring into me, a bishop that teaches, mentors. And I'm sitting here saying to myself, but there has to be more. Well, that more becomes unleashed or that more becomes revealed the more you make that conscious decision to study, the more you make that conscious decision to make the honest effort to say, look, you know what? I don't understand this thing. I'll never understand this thing. But if I don't take the first step, I'll never realize anything. Mm. And that's the, that's the message that I would give to young people today because they are not seeing the church as something that, as the healing station that it should be because of all of the hypocrisy or whatever it, you know they might see in the church is that people talk it, but they don't live it. Mm-hmm. And what God, I believe, is saying, even in this COVID existence, it's not about the building. It's not about the, the church itself. It's about people reconnecting with God on a spiritual level mm-hmm. that they have never seen before. It's not an accident that Bible study, outside of going to a church, but online via Zoom, is growing mm-hmm. during COVID. It's not an accident that people are being more benevolent in their giving than before COVID hit. Why is that? Mm. Once again, it's the upside down economy of the spirit, spiritual realm versus our natural realm. And, you know, many people will look at you and say, well, Gerald, you're nuts. You know, as someone asked me recently, you're too, I told me, you're too educated to be a Christian. And my response was, I'm too educated not to be. Mm-hmm. So until young people get it that way, I'm not sure how um, we can we can do that other than just live a sermon. Mm. Better to see a sermon than to hear a sermon. Mm. Wow. Gerald, there's so much wisdom in what you're sharing, and I'm just loving this. I feel like I could have this conversation for probably like, I, I don't know, like another two hours or so. So it... But Peter and I, the, the way we like to end these podcasts is to ask the same question every time. And and here's the question. What would Jesus have to say about this topic? Certainly, you've done an amazing job already, I think, of setting this up. And so Peter and I will just riff on what we think about that, and then we'll let you close it up because you're already done, doing such a fantastic job with it. And uh, you could just continue to go with it. That would be great. Um, right. Peter, Peter, do you want to start that off or what? What do you think? Yeah, Gerald, I just, I so appreciate you coming on here. And, you know, as you were telling your story, I was beginning to again connect the dots of my life. Um, You know, Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointed with God, said, faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. And um, I think about that a lot because, you know, I studied, you know, to be a pastor and then I worked in higher ed, and then I met my wife. And if you would have told me in my 20s at 18 years old, you're going to move to Rochester, New York for the sole purpose to get married, I would have said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Or, you know, she better be wonderful, which by the way, she was, um, and she is. Um, But I look at that decision, and God, where I compare my story with your life, you know, I took the first job offered to me at Rochester 
just to get married to my wife. And little did I know, I'd end up at Browncroft. And I even consider you part of that story. You know, when I was working in higher ed, you and I came into contact with each other. And that's kind of what brought this on. And I'm leaving this conversation with the biggest decisions that we make in our life rarely seem significant at the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting on my life, even our interaction, even the fact that we're here. And, and as you were talking, you know, about, I would drive by this church and I felt like I should go. We make God speaking so mystical and unbelievable. And I wonder how often Jesus is just saying, I, I just want you to say yes here. I just want you to say yes here. You know, and I even look at my wife, just, you know, it was a work of God in my life to be able to say, Peter, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're doing, but you know that this woman is the right woman for you. And this is the woman I, I want you to marry. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about our listeners right now, and I just want to just leave with them this is that, you know, you can even go back five years ago. We'll say someone's 22, you know, and they might be, you know, 16 or 17. There's probably moments in their life that they noticed that it didn't seem like a big decision, but God did something with that decision. And so that's what I'm leaving with is that Jesus sometimes works when we're passive, but he's saying, if you say yes to that, I have something even better for you. So I don't know. That's my kind of thoughts from listening here. Yeah, that's great. I mean, my my thoughts as I'm listening, I, I'm just thinking about this idea of common sense and where it comes from. And Jesus saying, Jesus saying, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then, and then he goes on to say, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he's talking about himself and, and him revealing himself. And as, as you know, Jesus, as the truth, he's going to set you free. Like, and, and I think a lot of times what you're telling us, Gerald, is, is this idea of following Jesus is not something that actually hinders us, but it's something that actually allows us to live the life we were created to mm. live. And in yep. doing that and in leaning into that, that's where true freedom comes. It's, it's this upside down world of, I think I'm I'm giving my life away, but in return, I'm I'm receiving it, and that's where true true wisdom, true common sense, true love for those around us is is found. So, as you're talking, that's what's resonating and and speaking to me and in, in my soul. So, how would you answer this question, though? Um, I would answer this question by taking a, a practical approach. I, if I was to cosmi cosmically have a conversation with Jesus, I guess. Yeah. He'll say to me, look, just walk through the 66 books. Mm. Just take a stroll through the 66 books. You know, my father started it out. And out of nothing, he formed this thing called this, this world we live in. Mm -hmm. You know, and just walk it through. We were, we, he blessed us with all that we needed. We were disobedient. You know, he redeemed us. He brought us out of Egypt. Mm. You know, we, we, we didn't have the faith, we lollygagged, and he had to get the said, hey, look, you've been around this hill too long, go north, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, you wanted judges, you know, you got judges, you wanted kings, Samuel, you know, you got your kings, everything else. So everything 
that you wanted and you thought yourself big and bad enough to do, he allowed you to do it. Mm. But eventually he's going to say, but you've got to come home. Mm. And coming home is where you experience the true life and the true living. You know, you, you cast your cares on me. You, you know, wherever you go, you take me with you and you see how everything pans out. Mm. Just take me with you. You know, you're driving in your car. You got your nice convertible. <laughs> let let stop down. Let all the folks see me in the driver's seat, the, the, the passenger seat, riding alongside with you. Mm. So then whenever people see you, they see the fruit of what you have accomplished by way of you yielding to what I have asked you to do. In our contemporary society, it's tough. Why is it tough? It's tough because we bump up against the intellect. And we have to prove everything. But in this upside-down economy of the gospel, it's okay to make a step not knowing what the rest of the staircase looks like. Mm. And if we can get to that point, I think Jesus is saying, just take the step. But when you're taking the step, make sure that, you know, you're stepping in my footsteps, and you'll be fine. You know, Mm. life will come at you. You know, in this world, we'll have trials and tribulations, but fear not. I have already overcome. And he's saying, just trust in that, believe in that, and um, I'll see you through. I'm not saying you're going to have a rosy life, that trials won't come your way, disappointments won't come your way. But in the end, all things, all things Mm. work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's what he was saying. Yeah. Wow. Well, Gerald, could you let everyone know uh, the title of your book again? Because I know people are going to want to pick up more of that wisdom from your book. And uh, also where you're starting a podcast as well. So I'm sure people would love to listen to to you even more. After, after hearing you, I want to listen to your podcast. So, yeah, let us in. Yeah, um, well, thank you for that. My book is entitled It's Easy, Son. Quit making things difficult. Uh, mm. Lasting life lessons from a coach and a mentor. Yeah. Um, it's available on Amazon. Uh, Gerald Hector is my name. G E R A L D Hector A C C T O R. And um, also my my beautiful wife, who's a techie at heart. <laughs> she has created for me a wonderful website at GeraldHector.com, where we are populating it with uh, that's where the podcast will be. Um, also, there you can get the book from there. Uh, I'll hyperlink to get the book. And you can also see some of the past presentations that I've done um, in higher ed. I, am, I, I work in the higher education space, and I'm extremely passionate about minority-serving institutions. So I've been doing that now for some time. Mm. So, you know, I'm just living out my passion, so to speak. And I'm here at Morehouse College uh, giving back the way that I, I know the Lord has placed upon me to Make a return on the investment that he has deposited in my life over the last 16 plus years. And now the returns that he's seeking, I'm doing so through this book and this podcast, which will be on the website as well. And quite honestly, just me continuing to share with my higher ed colleagues as much as possible. But now just trying to leave a legacy and a vibration in the earth that shows that the love of Christ in all that we do and try to take Christ to every nook and cranny. As, as Kevin Wilson said in his book, uh, and see, see what the end will be. Mm. 
Amen. Uh, Gerald, it's been such a joy to have you. I'd also recommend he's a wonderful LinkedIn follow. So uh, for all of our listeners who are on there, for more on the Why God Why podcast, use the hashtag WGW podcast. Uh, I'd encourage all of you to share this, um, whether you're you know in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you're a parent or a student. This is a great podcast to have a discussion about. Um, also, we are on um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at WGW Podcast. Um, and make sure you leave us a review. Um, as John would say, uh, leave a review that you feel. As I would say, we'd love your five-star reviews. So we'll help you out there. Anyways, uh, thank you so very much. And uh, look for more at the whygodwhypodcast.com. Thank you very much. Thank you.